Hello. So we're just sit on the couch together. It's very exciting. From Politico, this is Women Rule, where we bring you real talk with women bosses. I'm Anna Palmer, senior Washington correspondent and co-author of the Politico Playbook. Today, we're bringing you my conversation with actress and activist Piper Perabo, live in collaboration with Anna Marie Cox, host of the podcast with friends like these, as part of the 2018 Women Rule Summit in Washington, D.C. <laughs> Women Rule is produced in partnership with our founding partners, Google and the Tory Burch Foundation. Piper's breakthrough role was starring in the film Coyote Ugly in 2000. But she's maybe best known for playing CIA agent Annie Walker in the series Covert Affairs for five seasons. More recently, she was arrested while protesting during Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation here. I started by asking Piper about her transformation from actress to activist and how it was a series of aha moments that got her there. When I wasn't doing anything, I was sort of in that space where I was looking for, like, how can I help? What can I do? And my cousin does refugee resettlement for the International Rescue Committee. And so he was like, you can help here. You know, like, just with someone who said, please come help. And so I started working with them and sort of opened my eyes to the larger refugee crisis going on around the world. And then the big aha moment for me was Trump's Access Hollywood tape. I felt like... Uh, I must be so naive, I must be living in a country that I don't understand. All of a sudden I felt alone and confused. And then when he won, I was so upset and bewildered. And after sort of crying for three days, I just started calling everyone I knew and said, who's doing something? Who's, who's trying to do something? How can I help? What can I do? And so I just started there. And... Um, Dream Hampton, who is an activist, I heard her speaking to John Legend, actually in a podcast, and she had said that Legend was interested in getting involved in the uh, incarceration reform movement, and what should he do? And she told him he should listen for a year before he says anything, and so I thought, oh, and she said, you show up all the time. Every time you're asked, you show up, you show up, you show up, and listen. And so once I'd called everybody to say, what's going on, how can I help, then I just started showing up and listening. So were you traveling? What, what, what did that look like? I mean, showing up, I mean, these are things, protests are happening across the country. I started traveling. So like there was the march from Charlottesville to DC. Remember that after Charlottesville happened? And so I heard about this march where people were marching against white supremacy. So I flew into the march and started marching. And I learned protest songs and I met all these people from other orgs and other parts of the country and then um, then the Doug Jones special election mm. happened, and he seemed like a good candidate, and I knew people with money, so I thought, let me see if I can connect somehow to Alabama and offer my assistance for fundraising. And we got so connected that I flew down to Alabama and was driving people to the polls on election day. And so I just kept looking, <laughs> <laughs> I just kept looking for places where I could be of service to people and causes that I believed in, and then trying to get there. That's so interesting because, you know, there is something of an unfortunate tradition almost in American activism where once, once a, uh, an event or an issue becomes the center of attention, a lot of the white ladies zoom in to take over. And, and, and there's not a lot of attention paid to, I'm going to go and listen. I'm going to let the people who've been marginalized be the ones to lead me. Actually, before I went down to Alabama, 
I got involved in supporting Jones, and then a really smart woman who teaches at the new school said, I said, like, I might go down to Alabama and drive people to the polls. And she said, you better learn a lot more about Alabama before you go down there. And I was like, okay. <laughs> she was like, I would start with these five grassroots organizations who've been working for decades for change for women of color and rural women in Alabama. And she was like, you need to learn all about them. You need to find out what they're doing, and you need to find out how you can support them. Like, yeah, so especially as a celebrity, like the impulse is, I mean, I imagine one reason that one travels that journey is you like being the center of attention, or at least it's okay with you and are attracted to, that, to being in the center of things. So what does it feel like to, try to make a conscious decision to st step back? It feels a lot better, actually. I'm not that comfortable being the center of attention. It just comes with the job. And what I recognize is that my platform is my privilege. And so I can, this thing, like a press line that I was kind of uncomfortable with, you know, or like when they say, what are you wearing? Or who are you wearing? Or whatever that stupid question is. And I don't have to answer that question. I can use this press line to like talk about something else. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. I like, Especially I like, if you buy your own dress, you don't have to say anything about it. Well, like, I'm wearing my own dress. It, it, I'm worried about Alabama. Anyone who's ever interviewed a celebrity knows they don't answer your questions anyway. No. So like, why not? Just They're very like, like politicians in that way. They just yeah, put it to whatever right. they want to talk about. I think Anna Marie brings up an important kind of point, which is like, you didn't feel like you knew enough. That can be kind of paralyzing, right? Like, I don't know, you felt you had to research five different things. I mean, how did you feel like finally you were educated enough that, all right, now I can like jump in, I'm here. I'm never going to be educated enough. But it's part of like my nature is that I'm curious. And also, I don't want to show up like some dummy on the ground, you know, like, oh, I bought my car. It's like, how about no? Like, what's going on? What are the universities? What are the organizations within those universities? Like, who's already doing the work? And then start listening to them. And then that's how you're going to really understand what's going on. Like, no one wants you to come down and invent some new org. Like, that's annoying. So what have you learned? What are, what are some of the surprises you've had along the way? Or maybe just things you didn't realize. Not so much surprise, but like a depth of understanding that you thought you understood something, but really you didn't understand. I mean, I think I, like, privilege is something that I'm still trying to understand. And like, <clears throat> I was invited to speak at a thing in New York. I live in New York, and I vote in New York. And I was invited to speak, about, uh, speak at an event that was talking about women who are incarcerated at Rikers. And I was saying this to a friend of mine who's an um, environmental policy advisor and a woman of color. And she said, why did they ask you to speak? Mm -hmm. And I said, um, I don't know. And she said, is that a real issue of yours, incarcerated women at Rikers? And I said, uh, no. I don't really know that much about it. I'm going to have to learn a lot before I speak. And she said, that's your privilege. And you need to tell them that if you're going to come and speak, you." will only come if you bring someone who is at the front of that fight and who does know what they're talking about and you need to like make space for them. <laughs> I think that's one of the hardest things for people with privilege to understand that it actually means sometimes stepping back. That there is there is that you're going to get your chances. Like your chances are going to come. <laughs> I mean, I think you see it sometimes. Like I right in the begin or right near the end. It hasn't ended, but near the end of the big first movement of Occupy, when you there were like these protests going on in New York, where there's a rule, a law in New York that you can't, you need a permit to have amplified sound. 
So if you're going to do a protest, you can only speak as loud as your own voice will carry. And there are these huge protests happening. And so they do this thing called human microphone. I'm sure some of you know this, where the person speaking has to speak in short sentences. And then it's repeated backwards across the crowd. And one thing that it does is makes the person who's speaking like stay on point, <laughs> not go on and on about this one time. But also, it makes everyone in the crowd repeat the sentences of the speaker. So if you even go to that protest, by saying those phrases out loud, I think you start to understand things in a different way, like coming out of your mouth. That was really surprising for me. Talk about, so you get kind of educated, Trump is the catalyst for you in terms of what kind of bring, brings your activism to a new level. But really, things escalated for you around the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. You came to Washington. What was that experience like? So when, when Sessions and Trump were going to get rid of DACA, I was really upset about that. And I live in New York, and there were protests going on in front of Trump Tower. And a woman that I know in the immigration movement called me and said, do you want to go get arrested tomorrow? And I was like, um, let me think about yeah, that. Let's get a coffee, sure. And I said, I, I said, I don't know. I don't know if I do. And she said, well, there's going to be a training on how to get arrested tonight. Do you want to go to that? And I said, yeah, I want to go to that. And so I went kind of to meet like people, like who goes to a how to get arrested training? Like I kind of just want to like know you guys, you know what I mean? And I decided that I didn't want to get arrested the next day, but in the end I ended up holding the safe space for people who were getting arrested so that the press can see what's going on. So you need to be able to like hold back crowds. But then I knew how to get arrested. And so when Kavanaugh came up, <clears throat> it was before Dr. Blasey Ford came forward. And I'm sure we all have different opinions in this room, but like, I, I mean, the, the president is an unindicted co-conspirator in a felony investigation, and I don't think we should be appointing Supreme Court justices until that's been settled. So I was like, uh, especially I don't want this guy who's going to take away Roe v. Wade. So I thought, oh, this is when I used that arrest thing that I learned. <laughs> and I knew a bunch of women were going to stand up and disrupt and say why they disagreed. And I thought, I'm going to do that and see. I didn't really know what was going to happen. But I decided, like, you know you get to a point sometimes where you're like, not today. Like, that was my day. So I've never been arrested. Uh, what was that like? like <laughs> Have you been arrested? I know, for, for the audio audience, uh, Anna Marie has to raise her hand. <laughs> what were you arrested for? Um, I'd rather not talk about it right oh. now. <laughs> I this didn't know it was that story. kind of a read. <laughs> it, it was, it's an interesting story, but you know, I'll just save it for a different podcast. Right, I really <laughs> want to hear it now. <laughs> but, so, I mean, I, what does that mean? How did it go down for you? Where was it? Uh, so, it's different getting arrested all over the country. Obviously, like, the laws are different. And when you're in a federal building or whether you're in a public building or whether you're on public property, like, the laws change. So, if you're going to get arrested, you should really maybe go to a training or ask somebody who's been arrested so that you sort of know what's going to happen. <laughs> In the Senate hearings for the Supreme Court justice, 23 citizens are allowed to, or Americans are allowed to watch. And so you have to get online. And we got online like in the dawn light. And they were going to let us in 23 at a time. And I knew that I could get arrested. So I had bail money in cash and my driver's license. I was a Girl Scout in one pocket. <laughs> and then bail money for somebody else in case somebody else needed money in the other pocket and like a cell phone battery in my cell phone. And that's and I knew why I was opposed to Kavanaugh. And so when I got my chance to stand up and say, I knew five to ten sentences, I thought I'll never even get I 
got out like two sentences. I mean, like that's all I knew going in was like, and I'm gonna stand up and start talking. It was really scary. <laughs> it was really scary. For a lot of us, um, the Kavanaugh hearings and the desire to oppose them was really personal. Was it personal for you? It was personal for me because my bodily autonomy is very personal to me. And I believe that women and men have fought for this since before I was born. And that was a lot of work. And I'm not just gonna sit there silently while somebody takes it away. And I believe that silence is consent. Um, I get to leave the applause. So there is a part of activism that's yelling and that's you know, chaining your body to whatever and, and, and going and marching. And then there's another part of activism which is sometimes more difficult, which is what happens in our personal lives. How, does your, how do your values and your activism show up in those relationships? <clears throat> it's challenging. I mean, like I'm sure for all of us, like, going home for Thanksgiving, especially with extended family that we don't have these conversations with all the time, like Thanksgiving now is so fraught because you're like, hi. <laughs> So like, I'm not a huge fan of Thanksgiving right now. But um, one of the things that was really interesting about it actually is I was some ways concerned about how it would affect my work relationships that I was getting so active and so loud. And I mean, everybody's business is different. And so some businesses, it's a big deal. And some businesses, that's not. But in my business, I've seen men get a DUI and get a giant franchise movie right away. And I thought, well then I'm gonna get active and like, look, I'm not gonna worry about that. And in fact, I found that like by getting active, so many more people in my industry were reaching out to me. Like it strengthened my business relationships because people know where I stand and that I'm serious about it. I'm curious, so does that mean that Hollywood is not as liberal as we think it is? That's a stereotype, but you're saying that you were worried your activism was gonna... I think negative. like being like, saying you're a liberal and like getting arrested for what you believe in are two different things. You know, and some people are happy to like write a check, but they're like, ooh, the show's gonna open like next week, maybe don't say anything about blah, blah, blah. Like yeah. when the rubber meets the road, I think that's where like the businesses are similar. It's like, you know, if you're like at some march and your boss doesn't know about it, like no problem. But once it starts to get present, that's when I get a little, I was a little nervous about Hollywood there. Well, talk about what fuels you to keep going. I think that's one of the questions that, I mean, you're obviously very passionate and you've been protesting, but you know, there's fatigue. And I think there's a real fatigue from the Trump factor. It's hard for a lot of people I talk to all the time about staying on 10 all the time. You know, how do you make sure they, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come to the Women Rule Summit. I'm gonna come and I'm gonna march again. I'm gonna keep going. I mean, partly it's like who I am as a person. Like, if you're a curious person, it's fun. it's so fun to go into a room like this and all the random women who aren't on their phone who are like you can talk to in the lobby. And when you see like on your name tag, like, oh, I don't even know what that company does. Like, I'm a curious person, and so going into these spaces, like how to get arrested training, that's really interesting to me. Like, I kind of want to just go look around and meet all these smart people. I think also. <clears throat> Um, there's this podcast, I don't even think it's on anymore, called Politically Reactive with oh, yeah. Bell and Bell. Yeah. Marie. And after the election, I remember Kamau was like, this is going to be a, a lot of work, and you're all going to get really tired. <laughs> and he was like, especially those of you who haven't fought before, you're going to feel really tired because you've never fought like this before. Although like, there are days when 
I feel really disheartened and pissed off. I also, I'm so excited to be living in a time of change. And I think that's why it's so uncomfortable is because we're in real change right now. And that's why we're so exhausted and uncomfortable. Like we're living through an important moment in history. Like be a part of it. When you're like somebody's grandma and they ask you like, oh my gosh, like what, what was that like? Did you march? Be able to say like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's cool. I wonder if there are particular connections or moments you've had that have been especially meaningful for you in this time? You mean like in activism? Yeah. Although I guess maybe more than that too, if that's the right answer. There's one activist named Audie Barkin who is dying of ALS. And the first time I became aware of him, he's the one who confronted Jeff Flake on the plane about why he was going to get rid of the Affordable Care Act. And I thought that was so brave. I think he was on Pod Save America. And that was the first time I... I heard him talking and I, I was like, what's going on with this guy's voice? Because I just listened to the podcast. And then they said later that he has ALS. And not only is he a charismatic and smart leader, but he's literally using his dying days to try and improve this country. That's really inspiring. And it really makes you feel like, I could probably do more. <laughs> you know? And so like, meeting someone like Audie Barkin was really cool. Now I've like marched beside him and <clears throat> I think he's like inspiring. So obviously we're talking about your passion and, and you've talked about getting involved and we have to talk a little bit about how, what that's meant in your industry. Um, I'm wondering about your influence on your colleagues. Like how, <laughs> you got excited. <laughs> so are you, are you dragging people pick, picking and screaming? Are you recruiting them? Are you, are you an evangelist? Um, I mean like just causes? like in, in this room, like how I'm talking about how to get arrested, I, I think there is um, within my industry people who are influencers have the ability to like pull the spotlight over here or pull the attention over here. And, that's a real power that you have, and you should use it. And I don't even necessarily need to tell them what they have to use it for, but I think it's just intimidating. Like, I never door knocked until this midterm election. I was so afraid to door knock. Like, I thought people are gonna ask me about, like, tax legislation or, like, I, like stuff I don't, like, know that much about. And I don't wanna get in an argument with somebody, like, at their house, what if their kids are home, or, like, I don't know. But then I went and learned about door knocking, and it's, not that scary, and you only door knock for the party of the candidate you're supporting. <laughs> so you're not going to get an argument with somebody because they're like, oh, yeah, I'm voting for her. Oh, okay, thanks so much. Here's the voting information. Like, have a great day. So I think, like, a lot of it with my colleagues is just, like, giving them the information to not be afraid, mm -hmm. just to, so they know what it really is. Even if you're a movie star, like, you can phone bank. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, maybe you can't go door to door if you're... You well, might. Oprah went door to door. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, if Oprah, Oprah went door to door. So, I don't know. You're, then you yeah. can't be more famous than her. So, yeah. get to work. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, like, I think that a stereotypical response might be that, aren't you worried about getting recognized? I think some people are worried about not getting recognized, probably. <laughs> Both happen um, to me. Like, sometimes I knock on people's <laughs> doors and they're like, oh my God. And other times they're like, How did, what are you doing here? Like, yeah. Oh my God, you don't know who I am. Like, both is weird. Yeah, I'm sure. Like, it's being a regular human, which yeah. is sometimes... And that's the same for everybody. You know, like, 
it's awkward and you knock on people's doors and you're trying to talk to them and you do your best and sometimes they're nice to you and like sometimes people slam their door in my face. One lady slammed her door in my face so hard, she slammed it and then she opened it up more than she had the whole time just so she could <laughs> slam it harder in my face. So that person was mismarked on the... On the I literally was like, yeah, not no, voting yeah, for right. you. Okay. Um, what is the most successful... Um, evangelistic moment you've had? Like if there's someone, you don't have to name names, mm -hmm. but I'm curious about your turnover rate here, like your completion rate of like getting people involved and, and how you do it. I mean, like there's a lot of people I'm working on <laughs> <laughs> because part of it takes time mm -hmm. and part of it takes proving that like I'm out here doing it and I haven't lost my job and like I still can be on TV shows and movies and you're not so mad at me that like I'll never get a job again and so I have to do it a lot for them to not be afraid of that. But um, I've had some successes. <laughs> okay. I said I would, you didn't have to name names so I guess I, I can't I mean like look it. around at who's talking and also like you know, the new people that are talking. I mean, I still feel like I'm in the new group. Right. You know? And so I'm also supporting the people who, you know, pulled me into it. Is Twitter part of the baby steps of this? Do you, some people, like, I make fun of, like, Twitter activism. But I know that, like, when I've been retweeted by a famous person on some issue, mm -hmm. like, it does, like, I mean it can blow something up. It can I mean, really, it blows, like, like, sometimes there's, like, a journalist or a writer who, like, Cass Sunstein, you know that congressional yeah. scholar? He retweeted me one time and I was like, oh my gosh, like he is so smart. Wow. Then I was like, I'm gonna learn more about the Constitution. <laughs> In case I run into him, like I have something to say. Okay. Okay. For um, me, that was like that, that was big. the greatest. I that is a first. <laughs> um, we are almost out of time, but I I do wanna on that note, because I don't know how we that was a peak really, yeah. in the conversation. <laughs> but I do wait wanna, till we tell Cass. I, I mean like that's oh gonna my be gosh, please yeah. tell him. I'm like a huge fan. Yeah. I, I wanna you you talked about the three things that are coming up, but for you, what's next for you? What are you focused on kind of in the next kind of coming weeks, months? What I'm really focused on is a couple of things. I'm like in the immediate future, I'm focused on voting and election reform in New York State. We have like there's legislation written. Uh, we have uh, finally like a true blue New York. And I, it's embarrassing to be a New Yorker and like no offense to anybody here from Idaho, but you have better voting laws than we do. And how can I have my like New York swag on when my voting laws are so old? Like I feel like an idiot. So I'm working on that immediately. Then there's all kinds of state legislature races that are gonna come up in 2019. And I wanna make sure that there are state laws passed, especially in these states where young people registered and got active this year. I feel like getting your candidate in isn't really the win. What you need is the law to change, to feel like your vote, your activism did something. And so I really want those like legislative wins for these young people because I really want them to stay active into 2020. And that's a little ways away, so we got to like keep the momentum. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, unfortunately, we are out of time. Anna, thank you so much for thank joining you. us today on the Women Rule Summit for our live podcast. It was a lot of fun. And thank you, Piper, for sharing your journey in activism and also the practical advice about how to engage productively at the ground level and to enact change. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
Thanks again to my co-host on this episode, Anna Marie Cox of The Great Show with Friends Like These. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're doing that, leave Women Rule a review. It helps new listeners find the show. Women Rule is produced by Jenny Ament. Our booker is Jessica Andrews. Dave Shaw is the executive producer of Politico Audio. One more note before we go. We'll be off next week for the Christmas holiday, but back in the new year with a great conversation with Representative-elect Katie Porter, one of the dozens of newly elected women in the next Congress. 